Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tejos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays, when we sit down with Smart Karma insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. If you like what we do, consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your chosen podcast app, as this really helps more people discover the show. Thank you for being with us, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to another webinar by Smart Karma. I'm Valerie, and today I have the pleasure of welcoming Smart Karma Insight Provider Alex Sung, who will be sharing his thoughts on the insurance opportunities in China. Before we start, a bit of standard housekeeping. As always, please feel free to send in your questions for our Insight Provider throughout the webinar using the Q&A button on your Zoom app, and we will get to them during the Q&A section. Please do not reshare the contents of this webinar without expressed permission. A recording will be available afterwards on the registration page and will be sent to all attendees. And with that, thank you, Alec, for being with us today. Maybe you can give us a brief introduction of your background before we dive right into the topic. Sure. Thanks a lot for having me today. So before becoming the independent insight provider here on Smart Karma, I used to work at the Chinese technology company Tencent. So I was part of the overseas investment team covering tech investments in Southeast Asia and EMEA. And before Tencent, I was part of SwissBridge principal investment team, where I focused mostly on driving investments into the insurance sectors in APAC and also the, and as well as insured tech companies here in APAC. So that's the brief introduction about myself. And and I, I think I remember, I remember almost a year ago, I gave a presentation in a similar webinar here about DeFi option protocols, which was very forward-looking as everybody was talking about how DeFi could change the whole financial industry. And here today I am to talk about insurance, which I believe many people is the exact opposite of DeFi, being very traditional, kind of boring with a lot of legacy issues as it has one of the oldest sectors out there in the world. But in a bear market, for example, last year, we could see that some of the insurance names in the region, especially those in China and Korea, have done very well and actually significantly outperformed the, the broader market, which then made the insurance sector actually one of the very few exciting sectors to look at last year. As such, I do believe the whole space should warrant a lot more attention from investors going forward, as we're still in a very tough market today. And technically, we're still in the middle of a war in Europe, and the Fed in the U.S. is still not showing any signs of slowing down the rate increase given the high inflation. So before delving into the details today, let me give you an overview of what we're going to talk about. So first, I will briefly highlight and talk about different insurance products and companies out there. I'm pretty sure most of us already have a fundamental understanding of insurance products and what insurance is about, but please Bear with me on this one, since I want to make sure everybody is on the same page. Then we're going to delve into the insurance market in China. We'll look at how the insurance market in China compares to the other markets in Asia and the listed insurance players in the country. And finally, I will share our thesis and also our topics in the Chinese insurance. So insurance product could be broadly broken down into two major categories. So the property and casualty insurance products which is PNC for short, include all kinds of insurance protections against the risk of losses not related to one's life. For example, the motor insurance that you buy for your car, the home insurance that you buy for your home against risk events such as fire and other hazards. 
And then when you travel, you also buy travel insurance in case you lose something or in case you encounter some accidents during the course of the trip. As you can see, so all these products, all these PNC products are relatively short term. So they either expire or you will have to renew them every year or, or every other year in order to continue enjoying the protection offered by these insurance policies. On the other hand, life and health insurance provides insurance protection against human lives. So that's why mortality and also mobility rates and assumptions matter so much when it comes to the pricing of life and health insurance products, because we're talking about protection against um, critical illnesses, deaths, and many other major events and illnesses during the course of one's life. And usually, life and health insurance products are relatively long, for example, 20 to 30 years of payment period and duration. So on, I've also highlighted some international well-known insurance companies that provide PNC insurance, such as AIG, Allianz, and also some famous life and health insurance companies like AXA, like AXA and Manulife. And you will notice that it's actually very difficult to find insurance companies that just provide PNC or just provide life and health coverage. Given their size, usually large insurance companies will likely have both businesses in PNC and life and health, although one of them might be their, might be their core focus. For example, Allianz is a global PNC insurer, but also has a subsidiary that sells life insurance products, while AXA, on the other hand, is a French marketing multinational life insurance company that also has a unit which sells motor insurance. So most of these international large insurance companies out there in the world have both PNC and life and health businesses. And that's why we also call them composite insurers. And besides this, there are also other players in the insurance ecosystem or value chain, which are not exactly insurance companies, but insurance related companies. So they help facilitate the insurance processes instead of taking the insurance or underwriting risk onto, the, onto their balance sheets. For example, distribution companies, traditionally, this could be agency companies that distribute third-party insurance products. And nowadays, many insured tech companies have been founded to focus on, on this. In many cases, a tech company could also build an insurance marketplace within the ecosystem to help distribute insurance products to the users. And then there are also the the so-called TPAs or the, the third-party administrators, which are companies that focus on taking care of the claims processes for insurance policy holders. But for the purpose of today's discussion, so we'll focus primarily on PNC, Live and Health, and Composite Insurers. So now that we have a better idea of the categories of insurance companies out there and what kind of insurance companies we want to focus on, so let's take a look at how the Chinese insurance markets compares to the insurance markets in other countries in Asia. Again, we should look at the life and health insurance market and the PNC insurance market separately without combining the two. So the idea is that the less penetrated the insurance sector is for a country, the higher the growth potential we can reasonably expect from a country's insurance sector. So in my opinion, the two markets that really stood out are Japan and China which are the two largest life and health insurance market in Asia. If I remember correctly, Japan used to be the largest market 10 years ago when I first started looking at insurance in Asia. And now China has surpassed Japan in terms of market size, thanks to a large and aging population that continue to have a strong demand for commercial life and health insurance products. At the same time, China has one of the lowest insurance penetration rates among other countries in Asia. 
So simply put, right, the life and health insurance market in China is like a giant in terms of market size, but a baby in terms of penetration rate, which is expected to grow significantly in order to catch up with the more developed peers in Asia, such as Japan and Korea. And given this, I think the trend is quite clear that in the long run, and here we're talking about 10 to 20 years, but even more, the life and health insurance sector in China is without a doubt interesting, but the concerns are always short-term headwinds, such as, such as the product and agency restructuring the sector is going through right now. So the key takeaway here for me is that if we want to invest in China's life and health insurance sector, the horizon has to be long-term. China PNC is, again, the largest market in Asia. And that kind of explains why China is such an important insurance market in Asia. The country basically dominates both PNC and life and health. And the second country that I think investors should focus more on is actually India. But now India is still the fourth largest market in Asia, but it's growing very fast and one of the least penetrated countries out there. Uh, we're not going to cover India here today since the focus is on China, but it's a very interesting market and many tech and short tech companies have been focusing on, on this already. So having a look at the insurance market in China and how they compare to other countries in Asia, so the 11 listed insurers in China. Now, many of them are listed both in Hong Kong and China, but we'll focus on eight shares here. And most of them are composite insurers where the group holding company is listed. So investors will get exposure to both life and health and PNC insurance market in China by investing in them, with the exception of PICC PNC. So PICC PNC is the PNC subsidiary of the People's Insurance Group of China, that is PICC Group, group for short. So PICC PNC was separately listed back in 2003 in Hong Kong that was way before the, the group company, PICC Group, was listed. And you may also notice that I didn't include AIA here. And that is because I think AIA is much more than just a Chinese insurance company, even though a significant part of its business still comes from China. For example, the cross-border insurance sales where mainland tourists coming to Hong Kong to buy insurance policies as part of their asset diversification plans. Uh, but if you look at the business mix of AIA, you will see that it's much more than just a Chinese insurer, especially after COVID, as the border between Hong Kong and mainland China was closed. Actually, AIA has also been a leading life and health insurance player in Southeast Asia, such as Malaysia and Singapore. It has businesses in Korea and even a JV in India with Tata Group. So to me, AIA is a perfect fit but one who believes in the pan-Asian life and health insurance developments and growth. But if you're looking for exposure to the Chinese life and health insurance market, so frankly, I think it's better to focus on these mainland Chinese insurance companies. For the last three companies, so we have Zhongnan, which is the very first online insurance company in China, Waterdrop, which is an insurance company that operates something similar to an insurance marketplace in China that distributes insurance products to the user, which is also an insurance tech company that distributes insurance products to its clients. But given the size and the niche focus, again, I think it's better to focus on the first eight traditional insurance companies when we're talking about investing insurance in, in China. In the next section, so we'll talk about our thesis for both the PNC and the life and health sector in China and our topics for these sectors. So PICC PNC, is easily a topic in China's PNC sector. Since theoretically, we don't have much choice here as PICC PNC is the only pure play PNC insurance company in China. Besides, PICC PNC is the largest player in both motor insurance and the overall PNC insurance sector in China. 
Uh, Motor Insurance is the single most important and largest business segment in China's PNC sector, accounting for almost 60% of the total insurance premium. And starting from 2020, there have been deregulations and comprehensive reforms on motor insurance products where more pricing flexibility has been given to insurers. So before these reforms, motor products sold by different insurers in China are very similar without much differentiation, both in terms of pricing and product features, as the product itself is highly regulated. So starting from 2020, with this comprehensive reforms underway, insurers, for example, could offer a higher discount, the so-called no claims discount, to drivers with better driving record and behavior. And we believe these regulatory reforms and deregulations should benefit large PNC insurers the most, as they have more data for better pricing and also better access to channels to sell their products, leading to a more favorable cost structure. PICC PNC, being the clear leader in the industries, will be a key beneficiary of this regulatory headwinds. So given its size, with better distribution channels and economies of scale, the PICC has had the best underwriting probability and hence the lowest combined ratio compared to Ping'an PNC and also CPIC PNC, which are the second largest and the third largest players in China's PNC sector. The other favorable factor that we believe will also drive the growth of motor insurance in China is the expectation of improving new car sales. So as China reopens with COVID restrictions being ended, so we expect the new car sales in the country to further accelerate, especially compared to last year. Motor insurance should continue to grow in the country this year and continue to benefit the largest player, PICC PNC. And lastly, regarding the valuation, PICC PNC is still only trading at 0.7 times book. So even after the 16% share price gain last year. So many have been arguing that the catalyst for the stock are pricing already, but based on our regression result using insurance companies in China with businesses in PNC and based on PICC PNC's uh, return on equity profile. So this justifiable price to book is around 1.3 times, which is almost twice is currently trading multiple. So I think there should still be upside for the stock from valuations perspective. And moving on to the life and health sector in China, our topic here is Ping'an. The, obvious, the other obvious alternative is China Life, but we prefer Ping'an to China Life because we believe that for now, Ping'an is a safer bet than China Life to tap into the Chinese life and health sector. The caveat here is that buying Ping'an gives us exposure to PNC in China as well. But as we can see from the previous charts, like Ping'an's PNC business actually has a very high quality with almost the same underwriting probability as PICC PNC, sometimes even outperforming PICC PNC. And being the second largest PNC player in the country, Ping'an PNC should also be able to benefit from many of the headwinds we just highlighted in the country's PNC sector. For Ping'an's life and health business, we also think it has a better quality than China life. And the best way to showcase this is by comparing their new business value margin. But before looking at the new business value margin, so let me quickly spend some time here to briefly explain what new business value is. So new business value or value of new business is something that is very specific to life insurance sector, like something you wouldn't see in PNC insurance. The reason is because life and health insurance products are usually much more long-term as mentioned at the beginning of this presentation, we're looking at 20 to 30 years of product duration. When we look at the income statements of a life insurance company, 
we're only looking at the PNL of the past year or quarter. So it's never forward-looking. Uh, in many cases, because of the acquisition cost, a life insurance product is not profitable at the beginning of the product duration and only becomes profitable seven to 10 years after the product is being sold. So to account for this long-term product nature, so we use new business value, which is the present value of the future profits of a life and health insurance product sold in a particular year. The reason why it's called new business value is because we're talking about new policies that are being sold in that particular year. So profits or cash flows from policies sold last year or five years ago have no impact on the value of new business itself. The value of new business is essentially the discounted profitability of all the new policies sold in one. This is a much better KPI to assess the underwriting quality and product profitability of a life insurance company in one particular year or in a particular period of time, because this takes into account the product's future profits. And then we can further derive the new business value margin by dividing the new, the new business value by the premium or the top line of the new policy sold in that year. So here, the chart in the middle compares the, ag the agency channel's new business margin of Ping on Life and China Life. And we can see that even though both of the margins have been decreased the past years, Pingan still has a better margin than China Life, implying that Pingan likely has been selling more profitable products, which could gear toward higher margin protection products. The second thesis is the potential recovery in the growth of the value of new businesses. So on the first chart of the slide, we can see that the value of new business of both Pingan and China Life have been decreasing over the past years as a result of agency restructuring that has been going on in the whole sector. So there are early signs of stabilizing agency headcounts, although it may still be too early to conclude, but we do think there's a high chance that life and health insurance value of new business will finally recover in 2023, given the, the low base last year. Last but not least, the valuation of Ping'an has also corrected significantly over the past five years. Looking at the last chart here, Ping'an was traded as high as three times book, and the average of the trading multiple over the past five years was around two times. Now that Ping'an is trading at one-time book, so we're looking at a great bargain here. On a relative basis, compared to China Life, for the past five years, Ping'an was also trading at a significant premium to China Life, and that makes China Life actually kind of attractive to buy back then. But now Ping'an's valuation premium over China Life has almost disappeared and contracted significantly, and that makes Ping'an even more, more attractive in my, in my opinion. All right, so I think that's a lot I've just covered. So I will just stop here and I will just open up for questions. So back to you, Valerie. Awesome. Thank you for your insightful presentation, Alec. As mentioned before, viewers, you can now send in your questions for our speaker using the Q&A button on your Zoom app. And perhaps I can start the Q&A session off. So, Alec, what do you mm -hmm. think are some of the major catalysts that are driving the recent share price performance of the Chinese insurance stocks? Yeah, so I think one of the major reasons is the, the broader market performance, right? So, which has been a big driver for the strong performance in the insurance sector. So far this year, if I remember correctly, I think CSI 300 and Shanghai Composite Index have both been up by 7 to 8% year-to-date. Even Hansen Index has been up by over 5% this year. So that has helped the, the share price performance of, of these Chinese insurance stocks. And besides, the interesting thing that, about insurance company 
is that it not only benefits from the improving sentiments in the broader equity markets, because insurance companies also allocate part of their investment assets to invest in equity markets. So they will also benefit from the buoyant equity market in the form of better investment yields, better investment profits, right? But that's why insurance companies, they kind of have this double benefit from a good, broader equity market there. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. And for our next question, so since you also focus on fintech, how do you think technology will change the insurance landscape in China? Do you think fintech stocks are, you know, going hand in hand with the insurance stocks or are they going against each other? Yeah. The insurance tech was a very hot sector a few years ago, when, especially when we're still in the middle of COVID and China has been a leading country in Asia in terms of insure tech development with Zhongan being the very first pure play online insurance company that started almost 10 years ago and went public five years ago. But if you really look at, if you really compare the scale of Ping'an with, for example, that of PIC and PNC, then Zhongan's top line is only about 5% of that of PIC's and PNC. Right? So, so with this comparison in mind, I don't think Zhongan or insure tech companies in China really move a needle when it comes to disrupting or changing the PNC landscape in China. And to be honest, people told me, sometimes told me that they would invest in Zhongnan, for example, in order to play the Chinese PNC insurance market. To me, it just doesn't make sense because Zhongnan is just too small. Scale is just too small. And to me, I think uh, InsureTech is something nice to have, but I definitely don't see how it could replace or disrupt traditional insurance companies. Well, life and health insurance companies then it's even more difficult, right? For example, if you think about it, there's no, there's no pure play online insurance, life insurance company in China yet. And there must be a reason behind this because I think the awareness of life insurance is still very weak in China, as you can see from the bubble chart where the life and health insurance penetration rate is just very, it's still very low in China. And life insurance products are very difficult to understand. They're very long-term. And so people always prefer talking to someone who could explain all the, product features will help them handle the claims when something bad really happens. And that's why agency is still such an important channel for life insurers and also why AIA is so successful, both in China and Hong Kong. So in short, I think InsureTech is something nice to have, but I don't think that could, well, it's something nice to have that could help distribute the products more efficiently and also have access to data that insurers traditionally don't have access to. But personally, I don't think it could replace insurers. Instead, I think it's actually the opposite. I think they should actually work with traditional insurers instead of replacing them. I like what you said about the distribution as well as the education of the customers on the product itself. What do you think are some of the things that we could look out for in terms of driving this distribution as well as education? Does this mean setting up more agencies or what are some sort of the things that people can look out for in terms of this? Well, one of the, one of the alternative ways or one of the newer ways of distributing products would be, for example, using social media. I think that is, so I've highlighted the company called Hui, which is the last one. So, so this is an insurance tech company in, in China, and they have been very good at generating their own content with their own social media channel, target young people. So and these young people could then also buy insurance products for their parents. Right? So this is something like an, an, an alternative channel to these new products that insurers in China haven't really done yet. So. 
Oh, I see. So for insurance coverage for people in China, are they largely the younger folk or the older folk? Or do you feel like it's an equal distribution way around? I would say people in their 30s to 40s, because people older than that, usually they're covered by the government. So, yeah. Oh, okay. So the younger folks aren't really signing their own insurance packages or finding out about insurance products just yet? Just yet, right. So if we look at the target customers of, for example, traditional ones like Ping An, so it would definitely be 30 to 40 or 50 years old. So these mm-hmm. people, they have, they have the need, they have the purchasing power to buy the products. But if we look at insured tech companies like Huizhen, I think their target customers would be people in their 20s and 30s who spend more time on social media. So they will, they will read the content done by Huizhen. And then that is how they attract these customers. Yeah. So that's a good point to lead into our next question, which is how are leading insurance companies in China doing to grow and keep their edge? Are they, you know, mostly going out on social media or do they have some sort of guerrilla marketing tactics that you can see? As compared to... As compared to maybe traditional insurance companies or, you know, even in the rest of Asia, what are some of the tactics that leading insurance companies in China doing to grow and keep their edge? Yeah, so even though we were just talking about social media Mm -hmm. and and insure tech companies, right? But to be very honest, if we look at the distribution mix, agency channel is still the primary distribution channel. And mm-hmm. so for all these traditional companies, so we're talking about China Life, Ingan, the first priority is to build, is to improve the agency productivity. The second channel is actually back assurance, like to distribute products to banks, right? So in terms of volume, these two channels are the major channels, right? So we can talk about how excited it is to use social media to distribute, to distribute products. But at the end of the day, if we compare the volume of distribution, it's just, yeah, it's just peanuts, right? Compared to bank insurance and agency. So to me, the, the first thing that they do to do is to really improve the agency channel productivity. Mm-hmm. And, and usually for products that are profitable, so we're talking about products with high new business margin. So this product are not easy products to understand. So and again, so because of that, you need very knowledgeable, educated, mm-hmm. and good agency channels, agency people, or mm-hmm. agents to help you distribute this product. And that is the main reason why I would say AIA or Ping An, they have outperformed their peers on China Life on this China Life to China. It's the agency, the quality of the agency channels. I see. So for the agencies, right, so there'll be people, a lot of strong and educated people who will have to distribute these products. Do you see there will be any sort of labor shortage in terms of the workforce in these agencies? Or do you think that the supply is pretty strong? That's actually one of the key issues that the insurance sector has been going through for the past three years because of COVID. So yeah, so So if we look at the agency headcount or we look at the productive agency headcount, Mm-hmm. It has been consistently dropping over the past few years for China Life, for Ping Life. And that is also one of the main reasons why we can see here that the, the value of new business has been dropping. So, so, so I was saying that there's a chance that this year, the headcount growth of the agency channel should stabilize. Mm-hmm. And hopefully, mm-hmm. thanks to this, the VMB or the value of new business of Ping and China Life could finally increase in 2023, but it's still too early to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Do you notice if any of these companies like Ping'an or AIA are doing any sort of strong recruitment efforts to bring in new people? Or do you think that they're not acting upon this just yet? I think they're actively trying to to change that. Okay, noted. And for one of our last few questions, so would you be able to put your picks in pecking order from PICC, PNC, and Ping An. Which one do you prefer? And, you know, which one do you feel like isn't as strong? Sure. It's difficult to say since we are we're, we're not exactly comparing the same thing. But if I have to choose one, I think my bet will still go to PICC, PNC. Um, mm-hmm. Because to me, PICC, PNC is ultimately a bet on the continued recovery of the motor insurance in China. And that trend has been quite clear and it has been expected to continue thanks to the end of COVID restrictions at the beginning of the year in China. Uh, so to me, that's a safer bet since PICC PNC uh, would definitely benefit from this given the scale and cost advantage. The only concern is how much of that is already priced in. And no doubt the stock had a very strong year last year. Mm-hmm. Still, I believe there is upside as seen from the regression results. For Pingan. So we're betting on the recovery of the new business value growth in the broader life sector, as, as you can see on the chart, because of the agency restructuring. But this could be happening this year. But as of now, it is still a bit too early to say. So we'll probably have to wait till August when the insurers start to announce their first half results. Then we could look at the numbers and confirm this trend. Yeah. So as of now, I would still prefer PICCP and to pay now. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. And let's wrap this up with one last question from the floor. Is there data on how insurance companies are trying to combat sales fraud and insurance claim fraud? Data. Uh, I don't we have a fraud, right? I don't think the investor presentation, I don't think they will report that, right? But if we look at the annual report, I think that they should there should be some data points where we can look at it. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Alec. And to close this webinar, maybe you can leave us with some final words you want to share with the audience about today's topic. Sure. I would say we're interested in insurance sector in China in general. So you have to be a long-term horizon when it comes to investment holding period. So we're talking about seven to 10 years. And I think when we're investing in insurance, we're ultimately betting on change. And to me, I think that has been quite clear if we look at the numbers. I think the only thing we have to do is, is to really focus on the long term instead of being distracted somewhere in the middle of the investment horizon. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Alec. And that is our webinar. Thank you for your time today, Alec. And thank you to all attendees for being with us today. If you wish to keep track of more insights related to the topic shared today, I recommend following Alec on Smart Karma so you never miss any of his insights. Please email us at research at smartkarma.com for any other questions or feedback. If not, do follow us on our social media channels like LinkedIn and Twitter at Smart Karma. We share weekly ebooks on trending topics and themes, so you don't want to miss out on that. Thank you once again to Alec and thank you everyone. Goodbye. That's it for this week. If you like this episode, please share it with your networks. Subscribe to the podcast feed so you don't miss an episode and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening and see you next time.